fleeted yet i have not i have no intention to fleet <laughs> <laughs> there will be no fleets in my tweets <laughs> i don't understand what would make you not want to fleet i come to twitter to tweet not to fleet <laughs> <laughs> you want to be like twitter we all like we just accepted tweet as a word in our lives uh, like yesterday and still not that happy about it if you think we're fleet, no, right? We, we gave you tweet. <laughs> You've right. made a fool of us once already. You will not do it again, Mr. It, Jack Dorsey. It's almost like, too, they tried to figure out what is a sillier thing to have people say than tweet. Ah, right. Fleet. What's dumber than tweet? Fleet. We'll make them fleet. <laughs> and it will be sweet. Have you Have you watched any of the fleets? Yeah, but most of them so far are just like, hey, what's this? This yeah. is a thing? Like, <laughs> Which is the weirdest part because it's not like a new feature. Like, obviously, if you have Twitter, you probably have Instagram and Facebook and whatever. And it's the same thing on all the platforms. So why there were right. so many confused fleets, like, I just don't get it. Like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Well, it's just like, is this, the, is it as it looks the exact same as those other things? So like, yes, yes, yeah, it is. Right, it appears as such. Where Snapchat just gets no love out of the whole thing, even though that that's yeah. really their thing. Right. They took their shot. They shot their shot. And yeah. 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 Well, Brian, we had a very unusual sensation on Sunday. <laughs> we did. We had a warm, positive sensation. Yeah. An actual, like a real, a Giants win. They won. The victory. They won. Yes. Yeah. I agree. There's no taking it away from them. There's no caveats. Victory. Right. Pure, sweet, distilled victory. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, so let's actually, I, I wanted to do a, a segment with you that we sort of abandoned over a couple of weeks now because the, the question itself became so depressing. But I'm going to pose it to you. <laughs> Brian, is Daniel Jones good? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know that this, you know, again, I feel like um, this win was different than Washington where, you know, you weren't going to be throwing bouquets. It was like, okay, they won and they had a right to feel good about it. But like, and Daniel Jones didn't turn it over and he played okay. But it was no, like, this was not like, there's no vindication for anybody who really believed in Daniel Jones. And I still don't think we're at that place either. Correct. Yeah. Uh, But he played this was a good performance. He played very well, you know. Um, they seem to be sort of figuring out how he can play well, and then he he did that, and, and he didn't do some of the stupid things he's been doing in other games. Um, and it was just an all-around really good effort from him, and he was good, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't I, like I think change, you know. I don't think this changes anyone's five-year outlook, but like he was good. There's nothing you can say that would, you know, what I mean, like. No, I I really think that this was precisely the performance he needed. Just because I also think that if he was, like, really awesome, I wouldn't have trusted it. And I would have somehow felt weirder coming away from the game because I would have been like, that's such an anomaly. He's not going to be able to reproduce that week to week. Like, 
And then you would have to go on Twitter and deal with all the people who are like, you see, vindication, Daniel Jones, yeah. Dan Gettleman, here we go. You know, right. and I, I don't think I could have tolerated it. That's just not what I wanted to deal with after the game. I just thought it was a, a solid performance that's absolutely replicable. That he like if he can play like that consistently and, and we can expect that from him consistently and maybe sometimes a little worse, but also maybe sometimes a bit better like that. I trust what I see that actually felt like progress. Yeah, it was progress. So I, I think everybody has to be careful in this moment of the Giants to, to not go like this was not vindication, you know, like. This is not they have not arrived anywhere. This is it's not a day for Dave Gettleman to, you know, fire at all his critics. This is not a day for Daniel Danny Dimes lovers to like beat their chests. But it was a step up from last week and it's like the beginning of what needs to happen for you for anybody to feel like the Giants are going in the right direction. Like they had to win these two games. I think what I'm encouraged by is like that Tampa Bay game was so disappointing because of the way everything else went right, except for Daniel Jones. It was like by far his worst game. And it was the first one where you're like, Oh man, like maybe he's awful, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think it's been encouraging to have him respond like from his lowest moment and actually put together two pretty good games and two wins. Um, And then this one, you know, an Eagles team who look, I mean, you definitely can't say at this point the Eagles are any good. Um, they're now three, five, and one. They have real major problems themselves. But it's not like beating Ben DiNucci, you know, and it's not right. it's not beating Washington, who's you know, um, you know, had Alex Smith coming in off the bench on one leg. Um, it's a functioning team with good coaching and some talented players, and the Giants, you know, beat them soundly. I thought. Yeah, I agree. Did, speaking of good coaching, did you hear uh, Doug Peterson after the game? Yes, and in the and in the days that follow, like was very upset. Yeah, losing this game. <laughs> right, it was so satisfying. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, yeah, it was great. He did not expect to lose, and seemingly, like I almost felt like an existential crisis happening in Doug Peterson's life over losing this game. <laughs> Didn't you feel like he's questioning everything? Yeah, no, he was having a like kind of a meltdown because you could tell, like I feel like you could tell from the way he was talking, he knew it was kind of on him because he really didn't think that the giants could beat them. And he just sort of, yeah. And then he, but he like, couldn't quite admit it to himself. And he wasn't, he was like in the process of coming to grips with it as he was being interviewed, which is the funniest part. Yeah. Well, what made this game so satisfying was like, they had the giants got off to a great start and then they're up 14, three. And, you know, they have this sequence at the end of the half where, they get the ball across midfield and judge decides to punt on fourth and short as he often does before he punts. He dramatically you know, pretends he dramatically <laughs> pretends to go for it. The giants favorite play. Nobody pretends to go for it on fourth down quite like the, with the gusto of the giants um, decides to punt and any, and it works out. They get the ball back 14, three. It looks like, Hey, maybe we can score again right here before the half, at least go 17, three, 21-3, they got it's all on the table. They have two timeouts. They kind of they both mismanage it by the clock perspective. They didn't use the timeout properly. Yeah. And then just didn't really handle the drive well and ended up nothing. Um I think it was a fourth down sack. Um and so we go into the half, 14-3 on this disappointing note, and then the Eagles come out in the second half and score right away. 
And now you're like, oh, God. And it was clear they had, you know, they had kind of figured out what we're doing defensively. They were really finding something. Um, So now you're getting a little worried. But then we come back and we score. So now it's 21-11 or whatever it was. Um, And that was good. But then they answer immediately. And, And the game started to have this feeling of them figuring us out. And you were getting nervous that they that the they were going to kind of take over the rest of the way, and the exact opposite happened, and the Giants really dominated from then out. So that to me that was like a really good sign, you know, like for for everybody's sake. Like I thought Daniel Jones answered the call, the coaching staff, the defense. Like that was, it felt like a turning point in this team. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think it's too. I don't even know that I quite realized it in the moment, but I do think not only did Daniel Jones answer the call, but he answered it at exactly the time you needed him to answer it. Like we've talked about how there have been a few times this year where Daniel Jones is taking the field, and it's like, okay, this is your shot, Danny Dimes. Yeah, like this yeah, is you know, end the game, game-winning drive. This is it. Show us what you got. And each time you walk away feeling disappointed, and this time. It didn't feel like those stakes. I don't know why. I Maybe it's just because I've just become numb to that. It's like I just don't expect him to succeed in those situations. But then when it happened in this game, he hits Shepard uh, on, on the left sideline deep and then right, right to Golden Tate, next play, right to Golden Tate, contested catch, good throw, throws it to the outside of him or only he can get it. Uh, and and that was those were big. They weren't touchdown passes, but those were big plays that helped, helped us put away a team. That is the favorite in our division. Yeah, and then we've had so much trouble beating. And, you know, it felt like you could have just so easily seen our offense go into a shell there where they suddenly can't move the ball at all. And then our defense is just hanging on for dear life and and can't do it. Like, I could have so easily seen that game going where the Eagles take the lead late. And then we get the ball back to Daniel Jones and he can't score. And we would have lost that game, you know, the way we've lost six other games this year where, you know, it looked like we, he had a chance to have this kind of heroic moment and didn't happen, but instead it was better than that. Like we really shut the door on them both, both defensively and offensively. You know, we really controlled, we kept moving the ball. We didn't, we didn't go too conservative. You know, we kept making plays that we had to. Um, So I was excited, man. It was good. It was like, yeah, that was a giant's victory. That felt like opened up some possibilities and, um, you know, at least is it could be a turning point, I think, in this Giants era. It could be. And just before we get to that, because, you know, you said it a couple times about it looks like we're improving, we're moving the ball on offense. I'm going to ask you a bit of a provocative question here. But, Brian, is Jason Garrett good? Right. <laughs> I'll give Jason Garrett a lot of credit for, like, I mean, I guess we, it's like, why did it take this long for him to figure some of this stuff out? Yeah. But... I have no complaints with his last, I would say, three games, like the, the way he's called the game, you know, like, yeah, um, to me, the things they're doing are really smart, like, and I, and I think also, like, in fairness to Garrett, one thing that's really happened is we're playing so much better up front, you know, yeah. the offensive line, like, Gates seems to have really come into his own, Thomas, which is so <laughs> encouraging, oh, is playing much God. better, and it's like, thank God. Um, you know, the, the guard Lemieux, who, who, who's a rookie has come in and, and looked good. Um, so that has made a big difference, but and, then, you know, yeah, I, I think they're doing the right stuff. No, I agree. And it's almost like, you know, when the offensive line is playing well, it makes everything else so much more 
like to, like I do think that if if you know, and again, you, and you already said it, Giants fans and the Giants themselves can't get too far ahead of themselves. Nothing has been achieved. Nothing has been accomplished. Yeah. But if we start playing well, I would I could see myself beginning to enjoy all the drama that comes with our punting. And, you know, <laughs> I think, you know, similar, it's like when the, when the offensive line is playing well, it's easier to enjoy our weird substitution process, whereas when we're playing bad and we're playing musical offensive linemen, you're just like, what are we doing? We're just like basically just throwing shit at the wall. But if the offensive line is playing well, even as we're playing musical offensive linemen, it's like, look at us, just plugging and playing. Look at how good we are. Just, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Whoever's in there, next man up, and there's no problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that- I mean, I, you know, I do think this, you know, and I, again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. And I think there's a lot of work to, you know, the Giants have big games coming up. Like, I think this next week, you know, they have the bye, and then they're going to come out and play the Bengals. Like, they got to look, they should look good. You know what I mean? We got a bye week to kind of prepare. Like if, if, if you want to keep selling us this thing, that this is some kind of turnaround happening, you know, that's going to be an important game. But I do feel like from your and I perspective, like one of the things that we've been fighting is as we're fans, you know, we don't, we make no secret of that fact. And, but you don't like, so you're rooting for the team, but I think neither of us like being fools, you know, where you're like, (laughs) investing in people that it's silly to and we've talked in the past about like the isaiah thomas nicks and how we allowed ourselves to go down rabbit holes of i remember i used my biggest fantasy in the world was isaiah thomas after a first round playoff winning series his press conference where hit with that (laughs) shit-eating grin on his face (laughs) he just takes the new york media you know which never happened and was never going to happen and i should have never wanted it to happen all i should have been doing was demanding he be fired immediately (laughs) and so this gettleman era has that feel where anything good you're just like i don't know if i want to invest in this and you know maybe i just want this guy out of here and daniel jones there's an element of that where it's like am i getting my suffered into this nonsense because he's got my giants jersey on and i can't help it um but this you know this week is the first one where I'm just like letting myself get imagine what it would be like for the, this this group, this management team, everybody to actually turn this around with the pieces that they have in place and how satisfying that would be, you know? Yeah, and, and it's easy to see, or it's not easy, but it's easier to see a path at this point. One second, I'm just going to do a station thing here. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent, listener-supported radio. So as it stands right now, Philly, despite uh, disgracing themselves and and causing Doug Peterson to have a breakdown, they're still (laughs) the favorites to win the division at minus 156. And now we're the second second most likely team at plus 463. So, you know, I guess according to Vegas, we're still – you know, Philly is still five times as likely to win the division as us, but I don't I don't think so. If we look at the schedules, because you're saying, and by the way, I think we played really well off of our, like, mini-buy or our pseudo-buy uh, going into Tampa off the Thursday night loss to the Eagles, right? And so now we have a buy. Then we're at Cincy, at Seattle, home for Arizona, home for Cleveland, at Baltimore, and we end the season home for Dallas. 
And according to Football Outsiders, we have the 20th toughest remaining schedule. So that's pretty good for our favor. Philly has the fifth toughest schedule remaining. They're at Cleveland, home for Seattle, at Green Bay, home for the Saints, at Arizona, at Dallas, home for Washington. So I, in my opinion, six, six wins is going to win the division, which means we have to beat Cincy, beat Cleveland at home, and then beat Dallas at home. Whereas for the Eagles, they would have to, they would have to win at Cleveland. They would have to win at Dallas, at Washington, and then, you know, that stretch there in the middle, it, it, that's, how, that's how they would have to do it because they're not going to beat Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, or Arizona. So to me, I, my opinion, the season comes down to Cleveland. Yeah, who can beat the Browns? <laughs> right, yeah, or who can the Browns beat? And that's, that could be it. Who can accomplish the Herculean task? <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, the Browns are no pushover anymore. They're a pretty good team. Um, no, but what I like about it, though, is I think that, you know, obviously I think we've seen that they're they're trying to hide Baker quite a bit and they're really relying on Nick Chubb in their run game and you know probably the best unit on our team is being able to stop the run our defensive line up front Blake Martinez so you know I would I think we have a decent shot with Cleveland if we can contain the run and you know I mean look we just we ran the ball on Philly this weekend so I don't see why yeah, Cleveland can't yeah we've run it pretty well like three weeks in a row now we've definitely discovered a little bit of a running game um a lot of it is Daniel Jones, to be honest, but, uh, you know, Good. still running it effectively with. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I want to see us like to me, this Bengals game is actually becomes a very important game. Just that like I want to see the Giants go out and look impressive, you know, like come out of this by and beat those guys, beat them down. You know, yeah. like that would be exciting. Um, I can't even remember the last time the Giants beat anybody <laughs> soundly, yeah. you know, like really thumped anyone um and 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 that you know they're not a good team but like joe burrow they're a frisky little you know they're a frisky bad team yeah um but i agree with you i mean i think the eagles where they why they're probably still the betting favorite is they have that tie in the bank um which gives them probably a little bit of leg up they can lose um you know they have a (laughs) non-loss in in the bag (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think six wins is gonna is gonna do is first to six wins is gonna get it done, um, and I think the Giants have a good chance. Yeah, and at six and ten, we'll host somebody. <laughs> right, we're gonna host somebody. <laughs> right, unbelievable. That would be something. That would and be really something. I think I don't know who I was listening to. It might have been uh, Simmons, but. I think there's like definitely a likely scenario if, in fact, we make the playoffs that we would play Tom Brady and Tampa at home in the first round. Oh man, that'd be amazing! Yeah. Daniel Jones at six and ten hosting Tom Brady <laughs> in his as his first playoff game feels like too perfect. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we say, we should, we can't get too ahead of ourselves. As right. I've just I just played out the entire game of any time. <laughs> <laughs> going toe-to-toe with Tom Brady <laughs> in my mind. So yeah. that's where, where I'm at. I mean, to be fair to us, it still feels extremely unlikely that that's the true outcome of the season. So we may as well have fun with it today. Let, hey, like, right, right. You when know. you lose to the Bengals and then get whacked <laughs> right. three weeks in a row. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, but it's it's incredible to actually see a path to the postseason. 
It is unbelievable. I know. At least it's something, you know. I just yeah. feel like, and that we have to still have to play some pretty good opponents. Like I just think it's all good for the Giants to to do what they need to do as far as evaluate some of the people that they need to evaluate. You know, like they're gonna get a good look at Daniel Jones in some pressure situations, even though it's whatever. It's a silly this ridiculous division race. At least we're gonna see that, you know. And Joe Judge, I think. You know, you're really starting to feel good about Joe Judge. Like, there's a sense that maybe this guy is kind of special here. Yeah. And I think you're going to know that. I mean, I'm not if, – if if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to, you know, uh, rule out his career. But I do think, like, you, you, if we're right about that, I think we're going to start to see that. You know, I really do over these next uh, six weeks. Yeah. Brian, Joe Judge is so detail-oriented, such – an incredible planner that he made sure that Graham Gano got COVID on our bye week right. instead of the week we had a game. Right. Poor know. Graham Gano, what a, what a whirlwind week. He got a, a contract extension, which we paid him kind of a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit taken aback by that, but yeah. And then coronavirus. So yeah, I guess you take the good with the bad. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you're Graham Gano. <laughs> it's Graham Gano good to get COVID. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Uh, you're listening to Giants Among Men on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Your support keeps us going. All right, anything else on the Giants heading into the bye week, or or should we move on to a little uh, golf? Yeah, let's let's talk about the Green Jackets. All right, let's do it. Uh, so, um, not the most exciting Masters, I suppose. No, to say the least. <laughs> In fact, I saw the ratings were down, I think, 51% over last year. It's all the politics. Last year. <laughs> yeah, it's all that woke. <laughs> all that Black Lives Matter <laughs> BS that you can't get away from on the PGA Tour. <laughs> no, it was, I mean, it was a borderline unwatchable Masters, to be honest. Um, it had nothing. Unless you are just a a diehard Dustin Johnson fan, which I just can't conceive of um, who such a person might be. I can't, there was not much. Uh, there was us, nothing. It gave watch. us a few minutes of Paulina Gretzky, I guess on camera. Right. Right. I mean, you know, what's makes the master such the best tournament, the best major is the, the, the way the course is designed. It tends to attract the top players um so you usually get a leaderboard that has a bunch of big names in it <clears throat> and what makes it so exciting is anything can happen you know you see you saw tiger make a 10 on the 12th hole but you can also shoot 30 on the back nine so you get these huge swings anything can happen you someone can make a triple bogey on 15 or somebody can make an eagle but what happened this year is one is he, you know, he just ran away with it. And then his nearest competitors were guys that you hadn't really heard of. It was like Abraham Answer and Cameron Smith, who had a mustache. Um, is that the guy who looks like Michael J. Fox, kind of like a little bit? Yes. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. Michael J. Fox, if he's fallen on hard times, <laughs> All right. he's drinking butt heavies. Um, so just had no juice. Um Mr. DeChambeau didn't have a great week. No. Uh, he'd been all the rage um, heading into it with his prodigious power, but didn't come to... In fact, he lost to Bernhard Langer, um, 63-year-old 
Bernhard Longer. Oh, right. Yeah. Took him down. Um, so just didn't have didn't have anything um, going for it. So I wasn't surprised to see no one watching it. <laughs> no, I will say, you know, and this is I don't think this is going to get like the casual viewer to, to throw on the Masters just knowing that this is happening. But, you know, watching it with you, obviously, you're a uh, big golf guy. So uh, it was, uh, you know, we were up with you guys this weekend. So it was on the TV a bunch. Tiger's performance after he shot the 10 is incredible. Just, yeah. you know, as myself being an ultra amateur golfer, um, you know, who was played with no sort of stakes whatsoever. If I played a hole that poorly or equivalent to that poorly for my level of ability, I'd be shot for the rest of the day. Like, you know, I would just like get into the bar cart and just be like, I'm riding with you the rest of the day after playing yeah, a yeah. hole that bad. He plays a hole that bad. He's clearly injured. And just the way he played, what was it? The I think he uh, birdied, what, five of the last six holes? Five of the last six and the last four. Yeah, you know, for him, it probably got him going because it was like he had nothing to play for there. And once he did that, it was like humiliating. So right. now it's like I'm playing for my, you know, reputation almost, you know, yeah. like if I limp in here you know the narrative around tiger would have been his back oh my god and how bad he played so it was him finishing that strong especially the way he did it i mean he started firing at flags he you know he he, it wasn't like he made a bunch of 40 footers he hit like hit it stiff on 16 hit it stiff on 17 hit it stiff on 18 um so maybe it you know kind of focused him like oh god now i gotta i gotta do something i can't limp in here yeah no that was incredible um as a as a golf aficionado, was there any sort of downside to it being played in November as opposed to April, or any upside to it? It was. I mean, for me, it was awesome because, as you know, it was my birthday. Yes. And I also lost my job last week, so <laughs> it was a wonderful, needed distraction to have the Masters. <laughs> so I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Um, it was just too. It was too bad because it it could have been special having it in the fall, like this different thing. It was too bad it ended up being such a dud of an event. Um, you know, the only thing I took, I was happy for Dustin Johnson because he's one of these guys. Like, he's sort of the Greg Norman of his era, where like he's been an awesome player. He's been number one in the world a bunch. Um, just so talented. But he had early in his career some real bad luck in majors. There was a PGA championship where he lost it because he hit it into this sandy area that didn't look like a bunker, but technically played as one. And he ground his club and cost him the cost him playoff and a bunch of stuff like that. He famously three putted in a U.S. Open on the 18th hole when he had a chance to win. So he's one of these kind of cursed guys. And he only had one major but he's won like 30 tournaments or something, you know? And so I think it was really good for him to get a second one, get a masters, like kind of cements him as truly one of the great players. And I would say like people, you know, non golf people, like there's so much focus on these majors and you got to win the majors and it's like, they're important, but it's a little bit overrated. Like, you know, Brooks Kepka has four majors and Dustin Johnson has two. I like defy anybody to tell me that Brooks Kepka is a better golfer than Dustin Johnson or has had a better career than Dustin Johnson. You know, Dustin Johnson's won probably four times as many tournaments as Brooks Kepka has. 
and he's won one two majors you know like it's not the be all and end all of golf like winning tournaments is winning tournaments they all have elite fields it's really hard to do um yes the majors are more important and more interesting but you know it's not everything is brooks kopka's whole like majors deal is that like do you feel like that's for show or do you think that's real do you think he's like yeah i just kind of mostly just care about the majors and just kind of like you know use the other ones or is that just like he just happens no to i think it's the, i think it's the most self-serving baloney <laughs> excuse for why he doesn't play where anywhere else it's like he said he said the majors are easier because everybody the majors people mentally fall apart because they can't handle the pressure and he can and his problem in the regular <laughs> tour events is that he get he doesn't he can't bring that same intensity because it's not a major and that you know that give me a break like that boy, that boy, that sounds good for you, who happens to have done pretty well in majors and doesn't do well anywhere else. Like that, that, that narrative certainly fits how your career has gone. But then, when you get angry that he, you don't get the respect you feel you deserve, well, that's why. Yeah, and like, it's also like that's the the sign of a pro. Like it's great, and I know you know we all celebrate guys that are clutch or step up in the big moments or play well in the big tournaments. But part of being a pro is. You play your best in the kind of meaningless, monotonous. Always. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brooks Kepka has talked about winning 10 majors. Brooks Kepka is more likely to win zero more majors yeah. than get to 10 <laughs> majors. He's far more likely to never win another one than to win 10. And, like, you know, you want, you want to be in that group, the great players. Like, Brooks Kepka has won four majors, he's won seven total tournaments. Like right. Tiger Woods has won 82, wow. 82. Like you're not in his, you don't even get to play it. You're not in the same stratosphere. Like, yes, you got to win. Sometimes you got to win four or five times. You want to be like considered one of those players. Like that's what you got to do. You know why people like he, you know, he was asked if Rory McIlroy was a, a rival to him. And he said, no, because he had, Rory hasn't won a major since he has which is true, but Rory's won a ton more events than you have and has won four majors. And you know why people think Rory's better than you? Because he is better than you. <laughs> like, he wins more often than you do. And the winning the majors is really hard, and a lot of luck is involved in peaking at the right time. And, like, it's only getting harder because guys, there's so many guys who can win them now. Yeah. So it's impressive, and Brooks Koepka's great. He's he's awesome player. I'm not, but I, I, he bothers me with the, that whole nonsense about they're easier to win the majors. It's like, stop. Yeah. Well, all right. Then do something hard and get yourself psyched right, up for a tournament right, you're not so right, juiced about. Right. Just like the, the rest of us. Who, plastic. Yeah. <laughs> who get up and go to work every day, and it might not be the most exciting thing that's happened to me that day. Right. And I, I just don't buy it. Like, I just think long term, it's going to, you know, you can't keep bringing that bell. Um, you only get up for the majors. You know, the guys who win them, you know, um, play well in other events. And there's definitely guys whose game, like, I do think his game is more su is well suited to majors because um, they usually, you know, very many of them are built, are set up the same way. It's really long golf courses with like a lot of rough. Um, and he, you know, he's really long. He, you know, when he's on, he's fairways greens. Like he doesn't have the kind of creativity that some of these other guys have. Um, so he's well suited to them. So there, there may be, they, they mesh well with his game, but 
if you want to be on this level where you think seem to think you belong, you got to win everywhere. Yeah. Brian, Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air. Support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. I didn't want to bring this up. I'm sorry, what? I said help the station. Give us money so we can keep making the show. Yeah. That's all I have now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. This is Brian's career, everybody. Right. (laughs) This sad (laughs) show you're listening to. (laughs) This sad show you're listening to on Radio Free Brooklyn at 6 a.m. Thursdays. (laughs) Or available for download Saturdays. Oh, my God. (laughs) I didn't want to say anything when we were together, Brian, because I didn't want to make it awkward. But I feel like pimento and cheese is not your thing. Pimento and cheese? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't mind it. I think, uh, you know, I've been uh, I have been trying to lose a few pounds, um, which I don't know if you've noticed or not. But so I have I am trying to cut out some things um so that type of snacking is one area where i'm prioritizing away from um smart so yeah i'm trying to save up you know drinking is very important to me um dinner is a very important meal (laughs) so i'm just prioritizing those things over you know non-essential items that is honestly i'm glad you said that because to tell you the truth uh you know i'm somebody who's had major weight swings over the course of my life you know like i i could be fat in the blink of an eye and then i could be rail thin in another blink and you know a lot of people i know you know they do these fad diets whatever the uh well what is it like keto or plato or something diet paleo yeah paleos (laughs) and avocados and you know whatever people do and and to me it, it is it really is just it comes down to prioritizing your calories you know? Yeah. So good job. What what matters to you? Yeah. Right. Good job (laughs) by you, Brian. Uh, but you know, uh, just for the listeners, we were together and it was Brian's birthday and it's his 40th birthday. And it was very, it was, I had a great time, but going up there in my mind, I was like, Oh God, this is going to be really sad. Brian's turning 40. (laughs) He just lost his job. You know, I know you like, you know, you're, you're, you know, you and our friend Ed are the first ones to turn 40. I think like all of us kind of had it in our heads. Like we might have a big celebration this year as the 40th birthdays yeah. get rolling. And, you know, instead it was just us, our wives and our children. And right. so I was like feeling bad. So, you know, I was happy for you that the Masters is going to be played on your birthday. And uh, my wife's grandmother was from Virginia. So. Nicole's mom and Nicole, they make pimento and cheese sandwiches, you know, throughout the course of the year. They're delicious. Uh, so I was like, oh, let's, you know, let's make some pimento and cheese uh, for Brian's birthday. The Masters, you know, good things happen. No, I liked it. I liked everything about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I think I ended up eating way too many of those, especially when we started right. putting you them on. a lot of them. Yeah. I did a ton but once of you start, that's the kind of thing that once you start, it's very hard to, to stop, turn it off. Yeah. So I dabbled. Um, you put a little sriracha on there. You really have something. Um, so a dabbling, but I was trying to save myself for the real festivities. Yeah. 
That's no, that was smart. And also, it was really until like this time yesterday that I didn't feel like I had a rock sitting in my stomach anymore because the cheese just congealed together down there, and it was it was yeah comfortable. You know, I didn't feel anything about turning forty. It was weird. I thought I would. Yeah, I found thirty-five stressful. I don't know. I maybe I'm in my head. I already made it, or I'm already beaten down by life. Um, I don't know. I didn't feel. It was just like, yeah, okay, it's fine. I mean, it might also be because we're in the midst of a global pandemic, and just it <laughs> could be. Right, people are dying by the thousands. Right. And... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So maybe right. It was to, yeah, not going to dwell on my own age at this point. Um, maybe I feel forty. It feels about right. It didn't seem like. Uh, I'm not like what me. I'm like yeah, no, yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're damn right. You're forty. I think I, we were joking about how like I don't, I, you know, I don't look young necessarily for my age anymore. Like when I turned thirty, I feel like everybody was like, "What? Thirty? No way! You're like a kid." Yeah. When I turned forty, they're like, "Yeah, that seems exactly right." <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. You are a forty-year-old man, and so I'm not surprised to hear that. <laughs> you have the face of a forty-year-old man. <laughs> well whether you're 40 or you're 25 if you'd like to listen to radio free brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer please consider downloading our free mobile app for iphone and android available in the app store for iphone or the google play store for android brian tomorrow night is the 2020 nba draft wow it's here yeah it's here it's here so the it knicks is. are picking eighth uh and more important than the eighth pick they're also picking 27th. That's a much right. better pick. Right, in the first. That's where, that's where the money is made. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, obviously that's the better pick because we got rid of Porzingis in order to get that pick. So to right, give away a player of that, bomb. that caliber, then that pick must right. be incredible. Must be juicy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell you, you know who, who I think we should pick? Um, with both of those selections, yeah, I'd love to know. I, I don't care. That's what I say. <laughs> I don't care, even a little bit. I don't care. You could tell me any name tomorrow night. It means nothing to me. Like I have no opinion on who the Knicks should draft. I don't think it matters in the least. I don't care. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. I don't care who they select at eighth. I don't care who they selected 27th. It's not important to me. Just two young players, fine. That's fine. <laughs> right. Right. The quickest way to get me to bypass a Knicks tweet is to talk about who the draft. Like, yeah. <laughs> who cares who they pick? Who cares? Doesn't matter. Not going to have a significant impact on what happens. Just, and, and it's good. But, you know, in some ways it's good. Two rookies, good. That's what they need. Two more young players, fine. Yeah, fine. For Tom Thibodeau to mold. I don't think it matters. I don't think there's any point in picking over each one and trying to guess. Like, they're going to take a guess, which is what it is. Right. It'll be a guess that they're making, and maybe it'll be a good guess, or maybe it'll be a bad guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all right with the guy that seems to be, like, the media consensus at this point as to who everyone thinks that they're probably going to get. That that guy yeah. from Florida State, Villain. Yeah. Vassal, yeah. isn't it? Isn't that Vassal, Vassal, that's what I meant. Vassal, Vassal, yeah, that's right. De yeah. De Delvin Vassal? Yeah, Devin Vassal. Yeah. 
Yeah, just because, I don't know, just again, the brief, I've never seen him play one time. But the brief thing I read about him is basically he's a 3 and D guy. So, you know, I guess in the NBA now, if, if you're not getting a star, you want 3 and D players. Like, guy who could just shoot from the yeah. corner and play defense. I, I really, I'm really starting to come to the, the idea that though there are bad NBA franchises, like, I really don't even think there's, like, good and good and bad NBA franchises as much as there's, like, there's definitely dumb ones because the Knicks are one. Yes. Um, and they are that. But I almost think it's, like, there's lucky franchises and unlucky franchises. And, like... Oh, no doubt about it. it, it it's the most crapshoot league. Like, you have to just, like, they take these picks and nobody has any freaking clue. And we can pretend they do and they don't. Like, even the Spurs. The Spurs were the smartest team in the league until they weren't. Until all those guys left that were good and now they stink. Like, it's super hard. To, it's almost impossible to win an NBA championship. You have to just get lucky with these lottery balls that you get a number one pick in the year that it matters, or you pick somebody who's better than everybody thinks they're going to be. Right, because um, even the Spurs, as smart as they are, they're built on a mountain of luck, right? The big luckiest thing ever, right? I mean, David Robinson gets hurt, and they happen to be terrible in a year where they get Tim Duncan, and then that's the whole game. And then they they draft they trade Paul uh, they trade uh, George Hill for Kawhi Leonard, and you can say they're geniuses, but they had no idea he was going to be that good right. when they did that. They didn't. Right. And there you go. Now that the run was extended longer. Yeah. And they're smart. Obviously, they're smart. Like. They know how to identify players, but that now they end up with, you know, DeMar DeRozan and Marcus Aldridge, and they don't look so smart. And who knows when they'll be back. Might be a decade before the Spurs are a contending team again. Yeah. So, you know, and the Lakers, who were lost, they were this close to becoming the Knicks. And what turns them around? Not, like, smart general management, but LeBron likes LA and wants to make movies when he's done with his career. So he says, you know what? I'll go to the Lakers. And then you can say, well, they had all those young assets and like they had a bunch of junk and they traded it because Anthony Davis wanted to play with LeBron. And at least there was a couple pieces in there. But like if Kevin Durant had decided to come to the Knicks, you know, suddenly the Knicks have all the pieces to land a (laughs) star. Like they trade RJ Mitchell Robinson and a number one pick for whoever's joining up with Durant because suddenly we're a well-run franchise. And then next right. thing you know, we're winning a championship. So it's just like such a crapshoot. Um, I don't know. It's just impossible, the NBA. Yeah, I totally agree, which is also just what makes it so much funnier, the collective freakout that Nick's Twitter is having over whether or not we get Westbrook. Like, don't, right. don't ruin Now, look, full disclosure – I was very much in favor of trading for Carmelo because even I, like James Dolan, could not wait a few more months. I just wanted right. Carmelo. <laughs> it was so stupid to do that, but I yeah. I know it was stupid, but I also wanted it. And we, like, coincidentally had tickets to his first game in the Garden. We, it wasn't, we didn't get him because he was there. We had gotten him, like, way in advance, and we just happened to be at that yeah. game, which was awesome. But It was awesome. I was fully in favor of that. And then I also – turned on Melo and the franchise because I was super frustrated in 2013 because I was just like, yeah, no, we're pretty good. 2012, 2013, we're like, we're good, but we're not going to compete with the Heat, really, and we can't even get past Indiana in the Eastern Conference semi. So it's, like, kind of stupid to be that middle-of-the-pack good. But 
looking back on it, I was stupid. Like, I would kill for that being that good again. Yeah, right. No. You know. And and you know that the one of the key like what ifs of that era is when they almost traded a first round pick for Kyle Lowry and they didn't because um they had traded a first round pick for Andrea Bargnani, which was a terrible idea, but there was such backlash to that trade that then Dolan nixed the Lowry trade, which is like the most Dolan thing ever. Right. <laughs> so like not nix the bad trade and then nix the good one. But I mean, if you put Kyle Lowry next to Mello, that run extends. And yeah, we're not going to win a championship, but we would have been a damn good team for like two or three years. And that would have been nice. It's nice to be good. It's nice to not suck. It's fine. Like people are like, oh, you don't want to be the fourth seed. I would kill to be the fourth seed. It'd be right. great. Right. After, especially Fun. after all this time. Yeah. And also that's how you get, the good players to come. Like, even, like, look at what's happening. Brooklyn is about to have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. And that happens all because they, like, they got good. Like, they were the eighth seed in the playoffs, but they became respectable enough where it wasn't silly to go there. Like, that's the thing. You have to be good, too, in order to be in a position to get lucky enough for a star to force their way out of their current contract to get to you. Yeah, I mean, I do think that they, though, like Brooklyn even, such a, like, talk about luck. Like, it's just such a, like, they're in New York, but they're not the Knicks at a time when you happen to have the two maybe most mercurial personalities to, like, ever walk through the league who are looking for, like, exactly that, what they offer, which is, like, to be in this major market without everything that comes with being on a Knicks, you know, like. Like, yeah, I mean, you could, they, they like to say, like, well, we got to be a playoff team. And, like, they then blew up the whole culture, right? They fired Kenny Atkinson. Yeah. They traded away anybody they didn't need. Like, there really wasn't that much that they had accomplished. Like, they basically were like the Orlando Magic. But nobody's going to the Orlando Magic because unless they, like, happen to love Disney World or something, you know? like <laughs> So, I do think Brooklyn just, like, lucked. Everybody's like, what a job they did. It's like, I guess they, they had the cap space to do it which was good, but to, for me, my mind, they just, like, were sitting there <laughs> when the two biggest weirdos in the history of the NBA are looking for exactly what they can offer, you know, really and, and three, nobody else I, could. I think Harden's kind of like that, too, you know? Like, he's definitely got that, you know, when's he going to win a championship, will he win a championship narrative to him. So Brooklyn is, like, a perfect hiding spot for him, too. Right, and all they can go there, and it's not the pressure cooker that it would be if they were playing for the Knicks. Yeah, um, I think that's a big part of it. No, and I agree with you. I, I don't. I'm not saying Brooklyn didn't get lucky. They got extremely lucky. I'm just saying, like, just the Knicks. Just, just prove you can be not embarrassing, and then people will want to come here. You just have to prove you can be not a laughing stock. I agree. Like I'm, I'm not like on the Russell Westbrook thing. My take is not like do anything you can to make that happen. Like don't, don't do that. Don't do anything stupid to make that happen. But also, I also don't think doing it would be the if they did it in a way where they barely gave up anything would be the worst thing in the world. And there's all these people. It's like, oh, then you're gonna mess up our careful rebuild. It's like I get news for you. The rebuild's not gonna work. It's not no. gonna happen. It's right. not going anywhere. It doesn't work. It's impossible to, to pull off. So, like, have Russell Westbrook, him and R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson sounds like it would be some fun. And then yeah. if you're a decent team, maybe you get lucky again. And, and there's another trade you can pull off to add somebody. Or 
yeah, Russell Westbrook brings you a certain respectability that then attracts a free agent. And then next thing you know, you're a good team. Like, it's not the end of the world to, like, you don't have this, like, building an NBA team is not, you know, this 12-dimensional chess game where every move has to be perfect or else it all explodes. It's more like dice, you know? <laughs> it's yeah. It's like craps. So just keep throwing it and see what happens. And also, you know, I agree with you that we shouldn't do it at any cost and give up too much. But I also feel like people need to to change their definition of what it means to give up too much. Because I've got news for you. All those Dallas picks stink. And right. so does the Clippers pick. Stinks. Give them right. all away. Because what do we need them for? Who right. cares? They're the right player, though. I mean, it is like you don't want to dump them for Russell Westbrook, who then – like the only issue I have with Russell Westbrook is he does have like three years on his contract rather than two. So it's a little bit – riskier but if you could do it some of the deals i've seen floated where you just give up like kevin knox and you know a couple of players like yeah yeah why not no i totally agree and again i agree that like we shouldn't do it at any cost it's just again it's so funny to me that there are people out there who so reflexively are just like the knicks are thinking about trading for a player not those picks yeah. right i know the picks oh like, my god the picks they're the picks. Our precious picks they're worth I know. nothing Right, so that we can draft Ronaldo Bachman again with them. Right. And they... right. <laughs> oh, the prick, the picks. Right. All and the... Everybody's a genius who look at Sam Presti and amassed all those picks. It's like, yeah, he traded away a zillion great players. So, of course, he better have something to show for it. It takes no skill to be like, here's Russell Westbrook. Give me some picks. Right. And here's most... something good. Yeah, give me something back for it. Most of those picks, too, are just going to go to acquire another good player via trade. Right. Not drafting the guys with the picks that you acquired. Like at some point we have cap space, we have picks, right? I am not changing my cable subscription so that I could have MSG to watch your cap space and your picks. Get me a player that I can watch on television. And that's what that's for. (laughs) Drives me bananas. Well, it's like the bucks, right? You see what they did. They gave away a ton of picks. Yeah. And, it's for like a minor upgrade, right? It's like Drew Holiday over uh, Eric Bledsoe, which is sort of even like statistically they look exactly the same. I do think it's an upgrade once you get to the playoffs. I think Drew Holiday will be better. Yeah. But I get where people are like, boy, you gave up a lot. But it's like also like, yeah, but like we can win it all. Like, right. <laughs> we can always get those picks back. Like, let's say that, I don't know, like, yeah, it's a 2027 first round pick. I mean, yeah, you. You could win it next year. They got a team that can win. They got to try to win. Also, the NBA has really changed dramatically. Like, it was a disaster when Isaiah traded away, like, every first-round pick we had for a decade because guys didn't move as freely as they do now. I mean, now, like, like Sunday, what was it, Saturday or Sunday? Sunday, we're sitting on your couch, and on my phone, I I see James Harden of Brooklyn. That's ridiculous. (laughs) It's going to happen. Like, it's happening. So it's not right, like right. It was like how in is it possible? Yeah. I know. I don't. How does the cap? I don't get the NBA salary cap. How can they possibly fit those three players under it? And yet, if we overpay for like, you know, Julius one for Julius Randall, yeah, we're like <laughs> right up against it. You know, or back yeah. in the day, yeah, like Eddie Curry's contract was an albatross, but like we couldn't dump that somehow. Like, I, yeah, right. I mean, the thing is, back in the Isaiah days, they never got anybody that good. Like. You know, even Carmelo, like, 
maybe that tra- they probably gave maybe they should have waited and just signed him as a free agent. But like everybody talks about the Carmelo trade when the 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 thing that ruined that team was Armari Stoudemire. Yeah. Like that contract is what killed us. He was twenty million dollars every year that was did nothing, kept getting hurt. Right. And then we so, also, because we had an amnesty clause that we could have used on him, but we used it on like Chauncey Billups or something. Chauncey Billups. To yeah. Get Tyson Chandler. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, just you know, mistakes. was a mistake, but then Tyson Chandler was, was good. You know, again, I think that Kyle Lowry move ultimately was the, the real killer of that era. I mean, look, right. you look back at the Carmelo era, Anthony, or Carmelo Anthony era, and it's the finest stretch of Knicks basketball in the last 20 years. We made the playoffs like three times. Right. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. You know, before you were talking about Isaiah and, you know, all our, our dreams for Isaiah back when we were wasting all our time on him, I've been told this story on this podcast before, but the funniest thing that happened to me personally in that era was Peter Vesey wrote a column that was very critical of Isaiah Thomas. And, you know, I just wanting to buy into Isaiah so badly wrote him an email because you could just do that still back then just like wrote him an email about how wrong he was and he responded to the email and all he wrote was how does it feel to be isaiah's ignorant slut (laughs) (laughs) it was so cutting and so perfect right and like he was right yeah it felt terrible yeah I remember that. I remember we were both outraged at him. And it's like, no, he was right. Right. That's like, what we were. Idiot. Yeah, that's what we were. Right. right. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you mad at me? It's not my fault, pal. You're the one who thinks Isaiah Thomas is, is going to turn this around. Right. Yeah, right. Just spent that money on therapy instead of Nick's tickets. I'll tell you that. <laughs> How does it feel? Oh, it feels awful. Terrible. (laughs) Please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash newsletter. Brian, it's Tuesday afternoon, uh, you know, about 530. Uh, Our fans will hear this on Thursday morning at 6 a.m. or Saturday morning when it's available for download or available on YouTube. What's going to happen between now and when our fans hear us, Brian? Well, there will be no game. So the next time we talk that we won't have a Giants game to even talk about, we'll have to figure something out. Yeah, it's true. Um, Will Trump concede this weekend? No, absolutely not. (laughs) Will the armed revolution begin? Could. I mean, uh, he was thinking of bombing Iran, right? Just to mix things up, I guess. Yeah, you know, let's let's hope something like that. Imagine these meetings. Like, is he just throwing shit against the wall? Yeah. Like, what about could I could I assassinate Kim Jong Un? Like, no, no, no. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Could I? How about the Queen? Could I do anything to the Queen? Could I kind of mess with her? (laughs) No, no, you shouldn't do that. All right. What if I? Could I tear down Lincoln's memorial? Right. No, we shouldn't do that. Because no. uh, right. <laughs> that's how the bombing Iran sounded. Just like, maybe, yeah. why don't we do that? Right. I don't know. Why don't we accelerate climate change? <laughs> <laughs> Could I flood a major American city? Right. <laughs> Is there some... Well, hopefully none of that happens. 
draft night trade that the Knicks are involved in that stuns the world? I don't know. I kind of think we're going to there's we're going to be it's going to be all quiet on the Knicks front is my sense. Yeah, me too. Um, We're going to draft some guys and we're going to go into this year with a young team and with the hope that Thibodeau, um, you know, can get them playing better. It's my sense. Yeah. I don't think the Westbrook thing's going to happen. I don't think. No. Well, Chris Paul can't that he already got traded. So that's not going to happen. Yeah. I think it's going to be quiet. I don't think Oladipo is going to happen. Right, and that's the funniest thing about the Westbrook thing too. All the hang, hand wringing over it—he's not coming, and he never was really. Right, it's not right. <laughs> right, they're gonna kick the tires on it and see if it's possible. Because why not? Yeah, and they probably feel the way we do, like, oh, why not? Um, but ultimately, they probably won't have enough to get it done, and they'll probably pass on it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think he's going to Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that's that's the kind of team I'm talking about, where everybody's like, "It's Charlotte will rue the day." Right. Charlotte's not going to be good. Right. <laughs> Ever, right. unless by some miracle they get the number one overall pick in the Zion Williamson year, which is very unlikely. Also, so if Charlotte wants to have Russell Westbrook entertain their fans for a couple of years, fine. It's not the end of the world. Right. Let them do that. I think that's one of your strongest like takes. I think you said last week, and I I really have been thinking about it a lot. Getting the number one overall pick the year that there is a generational player is as rare or more rare than winning the Super Bowl or an NBA title or what. It's just impossible. Like you think about it, it is hard. Yeah, yeah, we were like we were lucky, and it doesn't feel like you're ever lucky to be a Knicks fan. But we were lucky enough to have been growing up in the Patrick Ewing era when we literally hit the lottery. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, right, right. And, and everybody and- talks about the the '90s Knicks made a zillion terrible, terrible trades and terrible decisions yeah. and horrible moves and awful signings. What they had was Patrick Ewing. Right. And so they were good. And now we're like the 90s Knicks. The 90s Knicks were not run by a bunch of geniuses. No. And, you know, Pat Riley was was the second best thing that happened to them. Um, but, you know, uh, they still made, you know, between Doc Rivers for Charles Smith trade, trading Mark Jackson, you know, like letting Xavier McDaniel go. Like there's lots of moves that um, – did not work out. No. no. We're ill-considered. Yeah. yeah. All right, Brian. I think that's it for this episode. Well, that sounds good to me. Um, been a fun one as usual. Um, keep following us on uh, all the social channels, your Twitter, your Instagram. We'll send your fleets. And your <laughs> you can DM me. You can slide into my DMs and, you know, try to... <laughs> Win a date with me, whatever you'd like. Um, <laughs> send me dirty pictures, however you want to play that. Um, I'll leave it up to you guys. Yeah, whoever whoever films the dirtiest fleet wins one date with Brian. <laughs> one cup of coffee. <laughs> All right, Giants fans and New York sports fans and just fans of Brian and I in general. We'll see you next All week. Right. Hope you enjoyed it. All right.